This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes, our podcast series that looks at those little things we can do and perhaps should do in our university classroom. The little things that can make a big difference. My name is Seb, and as always, I'm being joined by my friend and colleague, the ever so thoughtful and contemplative Al. Wow, I think you just mean daydreamer. Hi, everybody. The series is motivated by a belief that what matters to the student experience is what happens in our classrooms. But it's also motivated by our belief that we get to talk about teaching a lot in universities. But that conversation revolves around course design, teaching policy and teaching budgets. And often conversations don't happen around the little examples of great practice that can have a big impact. And that's the purpose of our podcast, where we want to share those examples through conversations with teachers who have great practices in their classroom that work for them and that we hope might inspire others. And we do want to have those conversations without the buzzwords that we often associate with teaching committees in higher education. And when we hear one of those buzzwords, could be flipped classroom, research-led teaching or work-integrated learning, we have our old friend, the democratic buzzer. No! I'm going to go again. No! And we hope this encourages us and our guests to talk in everyday terms about teaching. In this series, we're going to go a bit further as well than the last, further from our own discipline, further from our own faculty, and, as is the case today, even further from our own university. And hopefully, as a consequence, we'll go further in terms of the examples that we discuss. And uh, in light of that, we are taking you to Melbourne and to Monash University to think about one specific technique that may help you crack that tricky and universal problem, ensuring that students have read prior to their tutorials. We all know this one. And uh, to talk about this, we are being joined by Dr. Tom Chodor, a lecturer in politics and international relations in the School of Social Sciences at Monash University. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much. And I'm very happy to be here. I'm a big fan of, um, of the podcast that I've been listening to on my walks around during lockdown in Melbourne over the many months. And also friends with, uh, with both of you. So very happy to be here to talk about as you say, this perennial problem that we all face uh, about getting our students to read. Yeah, it is a problem, isn't it? It's a problem we all struggle with. It's a problem that everybody in higher education has experienced. You walk into the room, you're all prepared with a wonderful lesson. It's completely reliant on students having done some reading and no one's done any reading. Uh, we can all feel that pain and share that experience. So let's get straight to this technique, which you've used with some success, Tom. How have you managed to get your students to read before tutorials? It's a pretty simple approach of using reading quizzes that I sort of stumbled upon after years of experimentation of different approaches, which either took too much time or didn't really do what I wanted them to do. Um, and I sort of turned towards automated quizzes on, our, on Moodle, which is our learning, learning online system. Um, as a way of trying to do this in a relatively painless way, but also one that got results. And as we'll talk about, it's not exactly painless. There's a lot of challenges and issues, but also has been quite successful. So what essentially, I usually have about three readings each week for my for my course, and I have uh, six questions based on those readings that students have to answer. Two questions for each reading, obviously. These are released each week, so students have, say, a week to do the readings and do the, the, the quizzes, and they close just before 
um, the first tutorials begin for that week. So ideally students have you know, done the readings and, and answered the quiz questions. And then once the first tutorials start, the marks and, and answers are released so they can see if they got them right or not. These are worth, you know, these are not big assignments. They're only worth uh, 1% each usually. Um, so they sort of add up over 10 weeks to 10%, which I'm sure we know students will say, oh, it's a, such a small assignment, but it actually, you know, it often becomes a difference between a grade or, you know, um, between passing and failing, anything like that. So I always encourage students to say, think of it in those terms, that this is a small amount of marks, but it's important and it's for doing, you know, you get them for doing stuff you're supposed to be doing anyway. How much investment does it take you to build these quizzes? What's What are the challenges involved in building and, and, and running these quizzes? Well, I thought it would be pretty straightforward. You know, I could just write up some questions, put them online, all, everything be marked automatically, you know, problem solved. But actually running questions is quite difficult, as I found out, and I keep finding out. Because what you want to do is you want to avoid writing really simple questions that students can just do a control F for the answer, right? So these are about comprehension of the readings. So you really have to do the readings again or remind yourself of the readings if you haven't done them in a while and say, okay, well, what what are the sort of things that I can pluck out of here that I want to test students on? Um, you know, so I sort of, it's not like, you know, does Smith say this or that? It's often a question. The question is, according to Smith, what is the reason for the outbreak of World War II? You know, and there are multiple ways of answering that question, but it's difficult to actually find, without having done the reading, to find the right answer. So the first challenge is, is writing a question in a way that is, is is not simply straightforward, that it's a sort of a um, simple answer. And these are you know, these are multiple choice. So you have to come up there with four answers, one of which is right, one of which is clearly wrong, and two which could, could be right if you haven't done the reading, but isn't right once you've done the reading. And that's also much more difficult than you would think. So usually you know, I get excited, I've written the question, and then i got to go, oh, I've got to figure out what the wrong answer is now. <laughs> And that's often quite difficult. <laughs> I've only experimented with multiple choice answers a little bit, and I found this unbelievably difficult to to come up yeah. with meaningful choices for answers. So um, you just alluded to that, right? That it's difficult. Like, how do you go about doing this, and and what do you find is is the challenge in in framing these? Well, it's it's again, it's it's just like writing a question. It's difficult not just to do the obviously wrong answer. You know, like just something that's so obvious that students will go, okay, well, three of these are clearly wrong, so I'm just going to click on the one that seems plausible. So you got to write, you got to make sure that the answers are roughly in similar in, in, in plausibility, but can only be sort of really gotten if you have done the reading, right? So it's it's often a, I often say, go for an interpretation that's, that, that's based on what the students would see in the news, but is actually not what's, for example, that we are learning about, right? So it's common misconceptions often is one way to get a wrong answer. Because, you know, one of the things that we're doing through readings is actually digging deeper into issues and saying, well, like, you know, we need to understand this issue in the more in-depth academic way rather than just what you happen to see on Twitter or in the news or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a never-ending battle, um, right? And then there is there is that sort of right one wrong answer, two answers that are sort of plausible and one that's clearly right, but um, it's not that straightforward. Mm. And sometimes we tell students... In the social sciences, there's lots of grey areas and it's about how good you are at arguing your point. Do you ever have students say, no, actually, I was right? And do they, do they argue with you? Because, you know, it could be their reading and their interpretation has some validity. Yeah, no, I've, I've had students contest the validity of answers, um, much more so this year for some reason. I think maybe because students were stuck at home, they had a lot more time to go over the quizzes and go, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> 
sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes I just, I, you know, I thought the answer was um, was clearly was only one clear answer, and actually on, on hindsight, I go, oh, maybe you know, I can see how you interpreted that, and that's sort of not an easy admission to make, obviously. But but in most cases, those sort of disagreements are resolved by then providing feedback to students once the quiz is finished. They go back and see what answer they got, and I write them a paragraph explaining why this was the right answer. Um, and I say, look, the correct answer was because of this, and then this is why the other points were not the correct answer. Right. So I've, uh, I initially didn't think about doing that, but once I started doing that, that sort of stu- made students go, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe I thought it was something else, but having read that that paragraph, I can now see why that was the correct answer. And in most cases, they accept it. Obviously, students are never completely happy if they get something wrong, mm. but in most cases, that they, they, they say that's fine. You obviously introduced this because out of a frustration that you were having students come to your tutorials and seminars and you were sitting there, like we said earlier, them not having done the reading. So now that you are running this, has it changed the quality of discussion that are happening in tutorials because they have done the readings and maybe related, given that they perhaps have done the readings and the quizzes, does it allow you to do something more than you would have normally been able to do in your tutorials and seminars? I'm actually quite happy with how this has turned out over over the last few years that I've been doing it and improving it. So so one of the ways in which I've seen improvement is just empirically. Um, you know, on our online reading list where all our readings are, we can check how many times students click on reading. What actually prompted me to do this is I did this in one of my one of my first years at Monash and saw that out of a course of 400 students, there were about 50 clicks on the readings a week, which was pretty disheartening and pretty you know, shattering to see that. Um, once I introduced the quizzes, I've been tracking that every year, every semester and how it goes. And it's gone from 50 to about 350 in the course of 400. So clearly, students are at least clicking on the readings. Um, if they're doing them all, I'm not. I, mean, I can't be absolutely sure, but they are empirically. I can see there's been great engagement with the readings. And then, in terms of tutorials, yes, very much so. I can definitely see my tutorials are better. All my tutors started reporting that their tutorials are much better because students had some knowledge based based on the readings rather than just you know their their opinions or you know what they saw on Twitter or on, on the news or whatever. They were actually articulating the insights that, that we wanted them to get from the readings by just, um, you know, by, by doing it. That meant that tutorials could act, could then focus more on some sort of activity that we had designed, which required them to have that prior knowledge in order to, you know, to, to fill it out, whether it was a debate or, you know, a simulation or whatever, rather than saying, okay, well, let's uh, let's talk through readings and who understood them, who didn't. Okay, most of you haven't done it. And I have to go over them with you because this is important for your essays or whatever. So we, we could cut out a lot of that sort of, What we used to do, well, I used to used to do in tutorials is is the basic stuff that um, you know that really students should have done before they came to class, but they didn't. So tutorials became more interesting because often you know for that 50 of those students who had done the readings, those parts were pretty boring when we had to sort of go go over what what they were supposed to do before class. And I guess it's, it's a resource as well, isn't it? It's an extra avenue of information that you can give to the students because they can take the answers that you give. Once they've done the quiz, they've done their readings, then they can see your interpretation and they can gather them up and use them as well in future essays, but also conversations. It's an extra resource you're giving them. Very much so. And, you know, the, the, once I, especially once I start, started writing those feedback sessions, the students could see, as you, as you said, had another avenue of, of understanding, say, that specific point that they may have not picked up from the lecture or Maybe when they came to the tutorial, they, they read that, okay, and then and they could engage in that discussion better because they had been explained to them why that was the case, mm. that global governance works in this way or another way, which is the area that I teach in. 
Can I come in like if there was someone, you know, the kind of devil's advocate listener who would be coming and say like, wait a second, how do you make sure then that students don't just all sit in the library and there's one smart student who has done all the readings and tells the other what the answers are? Is there is there a way that you can prevent this or is that just something we have to accept? No, I mean, that, that is one of the, 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 not quite the dangers, I guess, the downsides of it is that you can't really police what students do, obviously, uh, and how they approach the quizzes. But, you know, some of the ways in which we've done that is they don't know what the answer is until quizzes have closed. So they, they, they submit their answers and then all the quizzes are still open until they all close at the same time before the first tutorial, right? So students could, I guess, collude and sort of sit there together and say, okay, well, I think that's the answer, let's all do that. But they won't know if that's the right answer until it's too late for them to change it. Um, so that's sort of one way which we've done that. Even if they're colluding in a library, that's kind of a learning activity, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. You know, they could have been discussing, you know, why global governance works in a specific way and trying to guess the answer together. So, you know, that's that's peer learning, I suppose, in a, in a way, but uh, maybe not exactly the way that we wanted to do it. <laughs> Has it got easier as time's gone on, Tom? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of effort in getting these questions drafted. There's a lot of effort, I guess, in setting up uh, the, the answers for them. And then there's a bit of effort in getting your tutors to, to all run with the process the way you want. But are you now in a position, having run it a few times, where it's the investment's lessened? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean... The way it's set up, it just you know it repeats every year. So I don't have to rewrite the questions or rewrite the answers. Um, you know, see the answers are a bit scrambled around every time you do the quiz. So you don't just go, oh, it's always A or it's always B or whatever it was B last year. Therefore, that's the answer. But the, the, the one the one sort of complicating factor that 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 comes into it is that if I change a reading, then I have to redo the quiz. And I always change my readings because I'm always not quite happy with how that that week went or whatever. So. It's a lot of work at the start when you got to set it up because every year, and you could do it before the semester, but I never get my uh, sort of uh, myself organized enough to do that. So I'm always doing it week by week. And if I add in a lot of new readings and I have a lot to redo, um, but once you've got them up, up and running, then it's it's not really an issue aside from, yeah, when readings change or, you know, if you, I, I had a, a case of a really contested interpretation for one of the answers and I sort of figured that it was actually a fair point. So I had to go back and redo that quiz and, and come up with new answers to, to get rid of that, that sort of interpretation. But it's a lot of work at the start, but then it sort of runs itself. Nice. It's fascinating. I'm curious to look at the student's perspective, right? I mean, we have, this is driven by our interest as educators, right? And of course, in the interest of providing them a richer experience in the subsequent tutorials and seminars. How did students react to all of a sudden, he makes us do all these quizzes? Well, as you can probably imagine, students often go, why am I doing this? Surprising, there wasn't too much sort of initial response of, oh, God, we got to do quizzes every week or anything like that. Um, I think maybe quizzes are becoming more widespread. They're used for small assessment tasks across um, different courses and different disciplines. So students are starting to get used to them. Obviously, it is a lot of work for them. Um, and so the, sort of the best source of, um, you know, whenever I ask them about the quiz during the semester, they're like, oh, yeah, they're fine. But then the best source of information I have is in the student evaluations at the end of the year. The common refrain that I get every year, every semester, without fail, is at first I hated doing these and it was so much work and I wouldn't have done the readings otherwise. But by the end of the semester, I could actually see the value. Um, you know, and students repeatedly say this, that initially it was a lot of work and they really thought it was you know, too much work for a small amount of percentage. 
by the end of the semester, they actually said, you know, that this is what made me do readings. I didn't do my readings in other courses when I didn't have these, these sort of quizzes, but I did it in this unit and this course, and it helped me to understand. It helped me to actually get a much more in-depth knowledge by actually doing all these readings rather than just sort of skimming along for 12 weeks and coming up with a vague idea of what, you know, what this topic was about, what this issue was about. So students actually appreciate sometimes being made to do the work that they know they should be doing but often they're very busy and they can't do um or they feel that they can't do because they're right off their feet they've got a job they're doing other courses they've got their personal lives and so on so it's a bit of a tough love sort of uh, approach i guess but students actually you know, without fail appreciate it in the comments there's always one or two students who said this was too much work for 10 percent. that's one of their uh, the common complaints, um, but to which I respond, well, this is what you should be doing anyway. Mm. So this is actually mm. bonus marks almost. Um, but the major vast majority have appreciated it at the end of the semester. I, I have to confess, I, this is one that I'm thinking of stealing. I am thinking of stealing this for my first year class. It seems easy to implement, albeit with a bit of work, but I think for the first years, trying to get them into the habit of reading, it seems really good for that. So, given that I am going to steal your idea, I'll claim credit for it myself, Tom, so I'll, I'll thank you very much That's for fine, that. Yeah. What, what's the number one thing for me? Like, I, I, when I start to plan this and start to think about it, what's the number one thing that I should get right or, or, or think about? Think about what it is that you want students to get out of them. As I said, it's easy just to have a sort of a, almost a true-false answer to, you know, does Smith say that in the reading? So when you come to the reading, go, okay, what, what are the two things I usually want the students to, to get out of this reading? Not just some, some fact or something like that, but a general feel that they have to have done the reading to, to get the answer, right? Which is actually not that simple. When you sit down with it, you go, oh, yeah, I know what this reading's about. This is, gets them to that. But you actually have to sort of, think about the reading and say, okay, well, what are, you know, what are the two points? Uh, what can I draw out of this that I want students to draw out of it? How do I write that into a question and how do I write that into the uh, into the answer is the next step. But the first step, I think, yeah, is, is thinking about what is it that you want out of this? Be prepared to you know, to actually struggle with that because it's not that simple. <laughs> this point, you know, we want students to, to get you know, critically analyze these readings and get these insights out of them. But when we sit down and, and do it ourselves, we go, okay, actually, this is, you know, this involves work. This is a, a, an intellectual exercise rather than just, you know, skimming a, a paper and being, yep, that's what that's about. I guess in the process, you're reminding yourself what it's like to be a student. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not about you guys in your undergrad, but, you know, readings were also an issue for me when I was studying. I, was, I always started readings and never quite find enough time to finish them. So I know the situation. And I tell this to, I tell this to my students, say, look, this is something that I struggle with. Everyone struggles with this because especially as we are increasingly working as students. But the more you do this, the better this will be for you in the long term. This, you know, this is your one chance to do reading on a, on a sort of you know, in-depth, in an in-depth way over, uh, over a sustained period of time and actually think about things which you may not get uh, once you leave university. So you know, let's find a way to get you to do that. That's been really amazing, Tom. Very inspiring and... I think I'm going to follow in Elle's footstep. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here, Tom. And uh, if you listening in here like what you heard and maybe you've got a question, you obviously can find Tom um, on his website. We also have lots of uh, pr good presence on various social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram. So please, by all means, get in touch. Mm, please do. I'm going to steal this one. And if you're going to steal it too, we should maybe have a conversation. Thanks for joining us on High Red Heroes and we look forward to your company again. Thank you.